Well, first of all, again, thank you so much for coming. Um, it's just a, such a privilege to stand here and see all these faces, family, friends. Um, so thank you. It really does mean a lot to us, to Hannah and I. Um, we're really grateful for those of you who've made the, the journey. Um, I'm aware it's slightly unconventional, perhaps, for me to be preaching at my own daughter's dedication. But as you've heard already, uh, other circumstances uh, blocked our plan. So Peter was due to preach and uh, obviously isn't able to now, which is great. It's fine. It's fine. Um, we, we knew, obviously, we knew there was a chance that would happen. Um, so uh, the due date was last Sunday. So Hannah and I thought, well, okay, Peter's due to preach. Uh, we're, we're pretty sure he'd be able to. Uh, but we, we sat down in the week, and the baby hadn't come yet. And the closer it was getting to the, the date, the more it was likely that we'd have to have a backup plan. So we talked, well, what, what, what can we do as a backup plan? And, uh, and Hannah said, well, why don't you say something? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. And the more I thought about it, the, the more I thought, actually, I think there are some things that I'd like to say. Um, and so I I'd prepared something, kind of not imagining I'd have to say anything, and... Now I'm here. So that's good. We're trusting God. We're trusting God. It's going to be kind of a, a half testimony, half sermon. Um, the reason that um, I wanted to say something, the more I thought about it, is because, as Hannah said earlier, our journey hasn't been easy. Um, and I think when you go through suffering, when you go through a valley, when you go through trials, that makes you ask questions. It makes you ask uh, God's questions. It makes you ask, well, what's he doing in this? Why is he allowing us to go through this? And it kind of brings you face to face with the reality of life, that it's not always easy. And that's, it certainly did for us. Hannah mentioned that, and it was true for me too. And I think the reason I want to share something is because I, 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 I believe, I'm sure, that's a common experience to everyone here. Um, everyone goes through suffering. And if you haven't already, you will. Um, it's different for everyone. But there's no one for whom life works out exactly as they expect. Everyone has things in their life that don't work out as they thought they would. Um, whether it's a job that you lose that you, th- you thought you'd have for life, uh, the loss of financial security that goes with it, uh, the loss of a marriage you thought you'd have for life, uh, never finding the husband or wife you always thought you'd find, uh, getting the life-changing illness that you never expected, having to watch a loved one, get the life-changing illness that you never expected. Every one of us goes through valleys. Every one of us goes through trials. And it's different for everyone. And you can't compare your valley with someone else's. Everyone has their own. But everyone has one. And it makes us all ask questions. Now, and I'm not standing here to give neat, cut-and-dried answers to those questions. Because I don't think there are any. I don't think you can stand up and give a neat answer. I'd love to be able to. It would help me in a lot of the conversations I have, but I don't think there are any. Um, What I can do and what I want to do is share our story and share, I think, how how Jesus relates to our story, because he does. And actually, I'm convinced the only way to really face the reality of life and and the suffering that we all experience and, and know joy, real joy, is to do it with Jesus. So uh, when we were talking in the week and thinking about what we wanted Peter to preach from, uh, we, we came up with Psalm 23. It's probably one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, possibly one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, it's the one that goes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Um, many learn it in school and recite it, and it's very familiar. Uh, the reason we wanted to go with that one is because it's been a psalm that's very been precious to us, and especially precious to me through what we've been through. Um, I'm aware that normally we have Bibles on tables, but today they're on the side there. I don't know if anybody would like to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, it'd be great to be able to see that psalm as I talk through it. I'd love to kind of show you what the psalm says from the Bible itself. So if you don't have one, maybe you could just wave your hand and some willing volunteers will come and give you a Bible. And if you want to look it up, it's uh, page 458 in these black Bibles. So uh, when you get a Bible, just flick over to 458 and we'll be looking at Psalm 23. So before I get to the psalm, um, Hannah shared briefly a bit about our story. I'd like to just share a bit of the, the story from my perspective as well. Um, so just to fill in a bit of the, the, back, the background. Um, so Hannah mentioned um, the miscarriages. The first miscarriage we had was uh, September 2012, when we were blissfully unaware of what lay ahead. And we were on holiday, actually, in Cyprus. And it was a complete shock, out of the blue. It happened on holiday. And uh, it was funny, because uh, we, we'd actually been bickering a bit at the start of the holiday about silly things. And uh, I, I remember lying on my bed in Cyprus thinking, oh, this is great, this isn't how the holiday is supposed to go. <laughs> and, then, and then that happened. And um, it, it, was, it was incredibly painful. And, but through crying together and grieving together, we, it, it was kind of really precious time. It sounds strange to say it, but... It was, a, it was kind of a precious week, actually. Um, grieving the incredible sadness of a life that was, you, you were hoping for and expecting. Um, a person, a, a child that was no longer with you, that had died. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a whole new kind of range of emotions um, that I never thought I'd experience. The intense grief and, and loss and that sort of thing. So uh, the second miscarriage then was in February of the following year. Um, and I think n- neither of us expected it to happen again. Um, and actually, I had a, quite a busy day, I think, when Han went to the 12-week scan. So I wasn't with her, actually, and got a call at work um, telling me we had another miscarriage. So I got on my bike and went straight to the hospital, cried with Han again, um, and thought, well, two in a row, that's a, a bit sort of unusual. Um, the third miscarriage then was in June of that year. So we had three in um, less than a year. Um, this time, because we had two, we had early, early scans. I had one at eight weeks, and the baby was fine. But there was a, a blood sack by the baby. So we were a bit nervous that the same thing was happening again. Hand kind of felt similarly to the previous two times. So when we went back into the hospital for the, the scan at, um, at around 10 weeks, it wasn't as surprising, but still as painful. And it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the feeling you start to get when you notice um, babies everywhere. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a grieving not just for the baby you've lost, but for the hope you've lost. And for the place that baby was going to occupy in your family that you were hoping for. And, 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 the, and the sister or brother that we were hoping Chloe would have. Uh, and then because when you have three miscarriages, you have a, a test for a, a recurrent miscarriage um, test. We had that in, in uh, the summer. And the results came in the September of that year, so less than a year after the first um, test showing that Hannah had a, a, a chromosome uh, abnormality, which meant that there was a 50% chance of miscarriage in any future pregnancies. 
So then there was all the processing of that and trying to think, well, what, what does that mean? Do we try again? And uh, we, having to face up to the reality that Chloe could never be a brother or sister. And I think it, what I was saying about um, life not working out as you expect. I'd always imagined that I would have a family of multiple children and having to sort of think, well, now I might not, and Chloe might be an only child, and um, dealing with that and processing that. Around the same time, as many of you here will know, Trinity started. So um, we, we got involved in the prayer meetings initially on Sundays, and then after the Christmas of that year, joined the church, which started on, on Sunday mornings. We were commuting, originally from Bristol. So there's a, a, a new group of people to get to know, and uh, new relationships to build, and the unsettling kind of time that comes with that. Uh, and then our, our fourth miscarriage happened in February of that year. Um, so again, early scans, seven weeks, baby looked okay, nine weeks, um, baby died. And that's where Psalm 23 comes in. Um, so it's March of that year. Um, we're in a new place surrounded by new people, and there's the, the distance that comes from not being known and from not knowing people. And it, when you, grief is a lonely thing, I think, um, because no one can fully understand what you're experiencing. People can try, and people do, and people love, but no one can really understand. And that's, I think, something that God's taught us both. You can never really understand someone's pain. You can try, but you can never really understand it. You're the only one that can. Um, and as a result, people, uh, people love you and they want to say the right things, but they often don't. <laughs> they often say things that actually aren't that helpful. Um, and, and that makes you feel more distant. Even though you're tr- you're, people are trying to love you, uh, it makes you feel more alone. And I, I had a couple of conversations like that, where people were really lo- you know, loving and trying to say the right thing, but it was just clear they didn't really understand, um, hadn't been through anything similar. Um, and I was, I was feeling that, and I was feeling the inability of, of people to shepherd my heart. And I was, it was a Sunday morning, actually, before I came here to this room, sitting in Bristol, at our home, um, on the sofa. I sat down in the morning, and I happened to be reading through the Psalms in my morning readings. And I opened the Psalm uh, book to Psalm 23, and with, with my mind swirling, I've got to go to church and have all these interactions with people that... Uh, I'm getting to know but I don't really know that well yet and they're going to try and love me but they're probably going to say things that are actually quite hurtful the inability of people to shepherd me and I read Psalm 23 so let's read it together Um, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. So there I was, sitting on my sofa, and I read those words. 
And it was like God spoke to me. He said, Andy, don't worry. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to shepherd your heart through this. You don't have to worry if people don't. I'm your shepherd. I think when you hear Christians talking about God, uh, you often hear Christians, you might hear Christians talking about God in terms of, uh, he's my saviour, he's my creator. Perhaps slightly less often we hear Christians talking about God as our shepherd. Um, Saviour is is an event that happens, he saves us, he brings us into his family. Shepherd implies ongoing care and intimacy. And David's saying here, the Lord is my shepherd. There's an ongoing care that he experiences, that he knows. Now, David would have known what it was like to shepherd. So David was a king. He was one of the kings of Israel in the Old Testament, one of the the greatest kings. Before he was a king, he was a shepherd boy. So he would have known all about shepherding. Now, shepherding in the ancient Near East was very different to shepherding as we imagine it here now, with uh, Welsh farmers and sheepdogs and rolling countryside and fields with nice boundaries so the sheep can't run away. Um, shepherding in the ancient Near East would have been a, a shepherd leading his sheep um, in the open terrain over a mountainside with often not much pasture, and he would literally lead his sheep. He wouldn't drive them like shepherds do now. He would be in front of them, leading his flock. And there was a, a care to that job. He would know his sheep personally, so he'd know when one was lost, and he would seek out himself the pastures for them, for them to find. Uh, so there was a, an ongoing kind of care and nurture and protection that a shepherd had over his flock. And he knew them, he cared for them, he loved them. And David comes to the end of his life and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now David's experience, we might think of David, he's the author of most of the Psalms in the Bible, uh, but he didn't live a life that was six foot in the air, just strumming a, strumming a harp. He lived a life of brokenness, actually, um, with messy relationships. He had to suffer the grief of uh, a hoped-for, longed-for child dying in infancy. He had to suffer his son uh, turning against him and betraying him and actually battling, warring against him, wanting to kill him. His family was a mess, uh, and he, his enemies uh, were seeking to kill him for nothing he'd done. He he understood injustice and pain. He was able to get to the end of his life and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's been watching. He's been guiding me. And what's true for David can be true for us or is true for everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who knows Jesus. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, The shepherding imagery that we we find in this psalm isn't just in, in the psalm. The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible actually talks of God as shepherd. And when Jesus comes in the New Testament, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the Lord. I am the God who has been shepherding his people all along. And, and we can know Jesus as our shepherd. And that's the, the, the truth that I think sunk in a new, in a new way, perhaps, that, that morning. And the wonderful thing about this psalm, the reason this psalm is so precious, I think, to so many people is because of what it shows us about the kind of shepherd Jesus is. So what kind of shepherd is he? Well, he's a shepherd who leads and provides for his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's a shepherd who knows what his sheep need and gives it to them just when they need it. And I can think back to numerous times in our experience over those sort of year and a half that we were going through um, the the experience we had, uh, where 
just the right conversation would happen at just the right time. So we'd be talking and wrestling together. Often at the end of the evening, we'd be lying in bed, praying, crying out to God, What's, why are you doing this? And there'd be, some, there'd be something that's really kind of hurting. And especially at times when Hannah was really hurting, and I'd pray, I'd, I'd say, God, please give Hannah some kind of encouragement tomorrow, just, just some kind of conversation that would just encourage her and point her back to you. And so many times that happened the next day where she'd, ha- she'd have a call with someone, she'd get a text, she'd um, read something in the Bible, uh, hear a song uh, that would be the voice of God speaking directly into her pain. He's a shepherd who knows what we need and when we need it and who leads and provides for us. I think of uh, one example in particular. Um, it was the, the week we found out our diagnosis, so September 13, and we had a prayer week at our church. And um, the day after we found out our diagnosis, Hannah was due to lead a prayer meeting on, um, on the suffering church. So she was leading a meeting, praying for Christians who were persecuted across the, across the world, praying for Christians who were literally living in fear of their lives, who were being uh, yeah, threatened with death purely for following Jesus. And Hannah had to do this the day after our diagnosis. And actually, there was nothing better that she could have done than lead that prayer meeting. Because actually, you know, it's, it's a funny thing when you're suffering, you know that perspective is true. <laughs> you know there are people out there who are going through far worse things than you, but if someone says it to you, it's not what you want to hear. <laughs> someone says, there are people suffering far worse things, you say, I know, but I'm hurting. <laughs> it's not what you need to hear. But when you hear it yourself from God, there's nothing better. There's nothing more that you need. And there was nothing better that Hannah could have done to lead that prayer meeting that day. And I think she'd say herself, that was a real, a real help for her. So he's a a shepherd who knows what we need when we need it. He's a shepherd who's present in the valleys of our life. So David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He's not a shepherd who leads us around the valley. He often leads us through the valley. But he doesn't leave us alone there. He's with us there. And we might not understand why we're there. Usually we don't. And usually we don't find answers to why. But what we do know is that he's with us. Um, so this came home to me a, a, a few weeks after, a couple of weeks after our, our fourth miscarriage. I mentioned about reading Psalm 23 in, in that March of that year. Um, the fortnight later, I was going to a conference. It was a, a Christian conference in, in Bath uh, about worship. And I booked it months ago. And I was thinking, talking to Hannah about it, saying, should I go? I'm not sure it's really appropriate. And we decided, yeah, I would go because it might actually be really helpful. And um, it, was, it was a real blessing, actually, that, that conference. Those days were really special. Um, and it was a few days later, so I was reading um, the psalm still, and I flicked over to Psalm uh, 34 and verse 18. So just, if you've got a Bible, flick over. Because this is another verse that was really precious to me. Um, it says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Same kind of thing. He's, he's near to those who are struggling. He's near to those who are crushed in spirit. And on the way to and from that conference, I happened to be reading a book by a guy called Richard Sibbs called The Bruised Reed. So Sibbs is a, a Puritan, lived uh, centuries ago, but what he wrote is incredibly uh, relevant and it was incredibly timely that week. And the, the whole idea of the book is what he's saying is, is, men- is uh, quoting a verse, another point in the Bible where it says about Jesus, the bruised reed he will not break. And he's saying that the heart of God inclines towards those who are struggling. The heart of God is for people who are 
going through trials. He do, he's not distant. He doesn't, he's not uncaring. Uh, he's a God who moves towards people. He has a special care reserved for people who are hurting. And, and that was just kind of, just, just blew my mind really. That he's a God who, uh, is, the, the pain of the world, the brokenness of the world is not the way he wants it to be. He didn't make the world to have miscarriages in it. He didn't make the world to have death in it. He didn't make the world to have family breakdown in it. He made the world for people to be in relationship with him and experience joy and love and hope that comes from knowing him and being his child. And actually, we've turned away from that. And that's why the world is broken. That's why we experience pain. But he's a God who cares. He's a God who inclines towards those who are in pain. And he's a God who leads through the pain. So that's the next thing in the psalm. He's a God who leads through the valley towards a feast. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God's heart is for a world without suffering. And that's where God's leading the world. Uh, sometimes we experience a taste of that now. We experience a taste, a taste of the world to come with no more, no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death. We experience a taste of our cup overflowing now. But some, some won't. Some will experience the valley for the rest of their lives. And that's, that's the reality of life. But Jesus is leading us through that. And his goal is to lead us through that to a place where we're with him forever. And there is no more pain. There will be no more tears. And there will be no more sickness or death. And that's his goal and that's his heart. And holding on to God's heart in the valley is so important. Knowing that that's what he wants, knowing that's where he's taking us, makes all the difference. A place where our cup overflows. A place where his generosity can experience uh, the, the joy of seeing us receiving it with no, no bounds. But here's the question. All this stuff about what God's like, uh, his shepherd heart, how do we know? It's in the Bible, but how do we know it's really true? How do we know he's really like that? How do we know he really cares? How do we know he's really a shepherd who loves us, who provides for us, who's with us in the valley, and who's leading us somewhere greater? Four words in verse four. Um, You are with me. You are with me. And for God... That's not abstract and that's not theoretical. For God, those four words had legs. For God, those four words meant the eternal Son of God who'd been with his Father from all eternity, taking on human form. For God, you are with me. Sorry. I thought to myself this morning, if I get through this without crying, it'll be great. (laughs) For God, you are with me when Christmas. It meant the the manger. It meant coming in human form and walking uh, the path that we've walked. It meant going through the suffering that we've gone through. It meant going through the valley of the shadow of death. And it meant going to his death, actually. It's, it's funny, you read psalms like this, and we often apply them just to ourselves. 
But actually, if you read this psalm through Jesus' mouth, then you, you get a taste of what he felt because Jesus came and Jesus was shepherded by his father through the valley. He was shepherded by his father and his soul was, was restored. He was made to lie down in green pastures. He was comforted and his cup overflowed. He was led, shepherded by his father through the valley to his own death and beyond the valley to his resurrection. He knows what it is to be shepherded and therefore he is able to shepherd us. Jesus is the shepherd that, that we need. The shepherd that no other human could be to us. And he was the shepherd through our experience and that's why I want to stand here and, and tell you about our, our journey because he shepherded us through it. And I don't know what your valley is. I don't know what hopes you had for your life that might, may not be being fulfilled. Uh, I, know what, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that Jesus can shepherd you through it. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to take on pain. He knows what it is to endure brokenness. And he can shepherd you, you in it. As I say, I'd love to stand here and give, give easy answers. I'd love to stand here and give a, a neat, cut and dried, uh, this is the answer to suffering, but I can't. I don't think there are answers. But what I can stand here and say is that I know a God who has comforted us. I know a God who cares, and there's an invitation to each one of us to know that God. He extends his invitations at all. He's a God who cares about brokenness. He's a God whose heart is for a world without suffering. He's a God who is grieved by suffering and who leads and shepherds his people through suffering out the other side to hope. And he's a God who's come and been with us. He's a God who's come with us in our valleys to bring us through and to take on the brokenness of the world to make us his. Let me pray. Father, I feel so grateful for the chance to uh, stand here in front of my family and friends and to testify to you and to to your goodness and to your character and to who you are. I want to thank you for um, the gift of Anaya. Uh, Thank you for all those in this room who have have shepherded us and and have been a a taste of your shepherding heart to us. But thank you most of all for, for your heart, uh, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are one who, know, who truly knows what it's like to, to be uh, shepherded through the valleys, um, through the shadow of death, and to be raised the other side. And Jesus, I pray for any here who are, who are in the valley, who are experiencing right now the taste of life not being as they hoped it would be, Jesus, I pray that you would shepherd them and, and be to us all that you want to be. Amen.